1514 is a resource of the Biblical Counseling Coalition that is made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. Will you help us to continue this wonderful ministry by logging on and giving a special donation or becoming a monthly donor? You can do so by going to our website, biblicalcc.org, and clicking on the Donate button at the top. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 15:14, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the executive director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. It's a pleasure to have you with us. If you're brand new to the podcast, I encourage you to go check out other episodes and be encouraged by different biblical counselors in various contexts and see how the Lord is working through different people in different places around the world to bring hope and healing through His Word. If you've been listening for a long time, you'll recognize my guest today, Dr. Jim Neuheiser. He was one of the first guests I had on the podcast a few years ago. And today I was able to sit down with him and talk about his most recent book, Money, Debt, and Finances. Dr. Neuheiser is the director of the Christian Counseling Program and associate professor of Christian Counseling and Pastoral Theology at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina. He also comes with over two and a half decades of pastoral experience, as well as being the director of the Institute of Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. Dr. Neuheiser is also a member of the BCC Council, so I've gotten to know him personally over the years, and it's a great delight to know him and his wife and uh, just be good friends with their family. And the I was really encouraged and delighted to sit down and talk about this book. It's a really robust resource on money, and you'll hear us talk about how it compares to different resources out there already on finance. But what I love the most about Dr. Neuheiser's book is the, the biblical depth that he goes to to discuss broad theological principles related to finance, as well as the biblical depth behind the practical instruction that he gives. Uh, And I think this will be a really helpful resource for people in counseling to translate sometimes confusing language about finance and help people who don't really understand finance understand it better. So wherever you are on on that spectrum of being a financial guru or being completely ignorant of financial principles, it will help you and then help you help others. So check out a copy of Money, Debt, and Finances today, and I hope you enjoy our interview. Well, Jim Neuheiser, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Could you uh, please introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I am currently the director of the Christian Counseling Program at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. I'm the executive director for the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, which started as CCEF West in the early 80s. And I'm a happy husband to Caroline for over 41 years, father of three adult kids, uh, got uh, drafted to being a seminary professor after being a pastor for 30 years. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it was an interesting being able to watch from the outside that draft take place. So I appreciate your ministry. I've been a beneficiary of IBCD and then also RTS and and your writing ministry for years. And today, I'm excited to talk to you about your most recent book, uh, Money, Debt, and Finances. Uh, So could you tell our audience what led you to write this book at this time? Sure. Um, The Lord, I think, has put me in an interesting position of 
having a background from college and in the first 10 years of my career working in business and finance, and also having in the early years of my career had some financial success. So I had to learn how to manage money more than most people in their 20s did. And then since then, being a pastor and now a seminary prof, uh, I wanted to come at financial issues, both from a practical level, which is what a lot of the popular authors and people on the radio do, but also for it to be really deeply exegetical Mm. and theologically grounded with lots and lots of scripture. And part of it also is to delight in the comprehensive sufficiency of scripture that there's nothing going on today that the Bible doesn't speak to, to give wisdom. And we will benefit if we listen and we will pay the price if we don't. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, interesting. Could you tell a little bit more about your background in finance? Because I think, as you mentioned, and as I was thinking about this, you do have a unique perspective because of that. Because um, a lot of pastors don't have a lot of money and have never had to really think about managing finances. Yeah, uh, that was actually a funny thing about even getting endorsers. Is a lot of them said, I hate money. I hate thinking <laughs> about money. I don't even want to read books about money. And so I would say that would be perhaps an unbiblical avoidance of a subject the Bible spends a lot of time on. Uh, Some of them had to, some of the endorsements were, I really didn't want to read this book. But in my case, I was one of those kids when I was five years old who was trying to find out a way to make a nickel. I had a paper route back when boys could have paper routes. I mowed grass. I saved money. Mm. Uh, My wife and I bought a house as soon as we got married with the money I'd been saving (laughs) through from the age of five till 20. Mm. Uh, And then as I majored in business in college, accounting, finance, management, and then worked for what's now Accenture, and then some with what's now ExxonMobil. And some of that was working in financial computer systems, but some of it also, when I was working abroad, people were being paid a lot of money in Saudi Arabia. I was being paid a lot of money, and we had to figure out how to manage money. And actually, the, the best paid guy on our project went bankrupt. Hmm and is living in government-subsidized housing, last I knew. Wow. Um, just seeing the mistakes people make, and but also recognizing, especially being seminary trained and doing counseling and using the scriptures, how the Bible speaks to these issues very wisely and very specifically. There really is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So that, that's a bit of my background that made me excited. This is something I've wanted to do for more than 15, 20 years, and it was actually COVID that gave me the time where I didn't have to go in and do my usual work the same way that I'm sitting at home. Actually, I read a biography of Churchill where it said when he was writing, he would write like 2,000 words a day. And I had this 80,000 word book. Hmm. And I decided to try to just knock out a couple thousand words a day. And then Churchill would lay uh, lay stones in a wall or something, bricks for the other part of his day. And I would go walking with my wife. Uh, and so that's how I got through it. Well, that's good. That's, that's helpful. It answers a number of my questions there. Um, so you, you mentioned already some of the books that are out there and radio shows and things that where finance is, is, is a big topic, uh, personal finance, getting out of debt, all of these things. Where, what does your book add to the literature base that is maybe missing or how does it come at it from a different angle? You know, that was the same question the publisher asked (laughs) to see whether they wanted to do the book. So I I was prepared with an answer. 
And it, to use an analogy that I use with them is in the late 60s, early 70s, James Dobson came out with Dare to Discipline. Hmm. And you had a guy who was a psychologist and he was a Christian saying that it's a good idea to spank kids, not to abuse them, but to spank them. And that was so countercultural. And yet, as I respect what he did, there's a lot to be admired in, in what he did with Focus on the Family. It tended to be very shallow theologically. And while it was Christian, it wasn't deep biblically. Mm. And then people like Ted Tripp came along and writing Shepherding a Child's Heart and Paul Tripp, Age of Opportunity. And some of the same things were being said in terms of the practical level, but they were rooting it in biblical wisdom. They were trained. They were, you know, Dobson would often say, I'm no theologian. And, you know, and so these guys were theologians who then, you know, saying similar things on a practical level but much more deep biblically. And so my pitch to the publisher was, you know, I want to create, you know, Dave Ramsey has a lot of practical things. People love him. He's funny. I'm not going to be as funny as Dave Ramsey, but I think I can provide the theological foundation and the biblical exegetical explanations for practical financial wisdom that would go beyond what a lot of the popular authors on finance are doing. Yeah. And so I think, you know, both, you know, individual Christians and people who are counseling will find that beneficial. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you definitely succeeded there because I'm a big Ram, Dave Ramsey fan in one sense and read Total Money Makeover. We've followed his baby steps, all that kind of stuff. But there is an absence of, and he's he's appealing to a different audience in a sense. There is an absence of that deep biblical theological writing, which your book is, as you mentioned already, really Robust. I mean, it's a thick book, lots of words, and you tackle broad concepts as well as get really practical with it. Um, why? Why was it important for you to do both of those things? I mean, the broad concepts of like even asking the question, "What is money? What is what does that look like? How do we do exchange?" Um, but also getting super practical, like should Christians gamble? How to do a budget, and even including some budget samples there. So. What, why did you, why was it important to tackle all of those right. aspects? Right. Well, first of all, let me um, overcome an objection that you may have implicitly raised as the book is fairly thick. And I just want to tell people you don't have to read it straight through if you don't want to. Although I did talk to a lady this weekend who read it on the beach <laughs> over her uh, spring break. But yeah. It can be used as a reference where you look up the things you're particularly interested in. Yeah. But part of trying to be somewhat comprehensive is if we're going to talk about how to save money, earn money, spend money, invest money, we need to understand from the biblical standpoint what money is, how it functions, that the Bible speaks to economy. God established work, and God even established in the law rules for trade and uh, in Proverbs wisdom for financial success. And part of it, too, is people are watching, if, pardon me, Fox News, and somebody holds up a gold coin and says, this is real money. Mm. But nothing is worth any more than somebody else is willing to pay you for it. There's no inherent value in gold, silver, platinum, land, uh, cash, or electronic cryptocurrencies. Uh, and there's risk involved in all of that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there will be principles saying if you keep making more and more dollars and printing more and more dollars, they will become worth less sooner or later, as has happened in some countries. I actually wanted to include my $10 trillion Zimbabwe bill as a diagram in the book, but the publisher thought that would be complicated. 
And so I want people, I want people as they read it, just that being an example, understand that, you know, there are various stores of value and kind of starting from the beginning is that you, you could have, you know, whatever, a stack of bricks you made and you carry it to the store and exchange it for food. Well, money is a way you convert your labor or what you've produced with your labor into something fungible that you can then take to somebody else. And, you know, these are all things implicit in scripture, explicit sometimes, but just to think more deeply about that and also to realize that, you know, everything can go down, you know, supply, demand, and again, back to some of the simplistic, you know, I'm not saying gold is a bad investment, Mm -hmm. but I'm not saying, you know, maybe they're going to find somewhere, a place in Antarctica where there's, 10,000 tons of gold and it's now as common as copper and gold will go down. So yeah. uh, I just want to get, what, what, what does money mean? What is money? How do you get it to think at that level? And if people don't want to read that, they can skip to the chapter on the budgeting. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did appreciate that. And I definitely, I don't think a large book should be a deterrent to anybody. I know some people aren't readers. I think most of our audience are readers, so they'll, they'll appreciate that. Uh, but as you mentioned, it is a reference and you can, one, put it on the shelf and come back to it time and time again. And maybe uh, that's one of the questions I was going to ask later. But as a counselor, how might you use it in counseling? I think to me that that jumps off the page. Um, but what are sure. some other ways you might use this, your resource as a counselor to help people that you're counseling? Yeah, well, the context in which the book was written was actually 40 years of working with other people's finance as well as my own. And I tended to be the elder in my church or the counselor who was better at this stuff. So I got the people with those problems, mm-hmm. even up until the present day where here's somebody who's lost his house and he's in debt and, you know, they send him to me in the church or something. And so, and some of it is going to be, uh, if someone is, is not making enough money, the Bible has wisdom for, earning more money in their chapters that deal with that is, you know, you work hard, work smart, you know, Proverbs 22, 29 says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He'll stand before Kings. He won't serve ordinary men. And so then there's some practical suggestions. How can you improve your skill set So people are willing to pay you $30 an hour instead of $10 an hour. Hmm. Um, Other things pop up where, you know, a couple comes and they say that, well, my brother wants me to lend him this money or he wants me to co-sign for the car. That's just what our family does. And I address both what the Bible says about co-signing is it's not necessarily a sin. It's just really unwise. Mm-hmm. You want to do it, plan to lose your money. And, <laughs> and, and also expect a deterioration in the relationship when the proverb says the borrower becomes the lender's slave, mm. ironically, when you lend people money and they can't pay you back, they don't like feeling like slaves and they'll be mad at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I can say that from the experience of many people. Yeah. And so you know, things come up. Somebody's interested in getting involved in multi-level marketing. How does this pass the test of how the Bible says we're to earn money? What are some things to look out for? I'm not saying – one thing I try to be very careful in the book is – not to go beyond what the Bible says. I think that would be another distinction between me and some of the financial gurus Mm -hmm. where the debt snowballs, the only way to get rid of your debt, you can't do some other way. And there are principles of wisdom in scripture. And I make a distinction between thus says the Lord, you must work six days. You must provide for your family. 
and you know, some of the legalistic things where you must use an envelope system or you must do this or that. I think I can make a general argument for a budget in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to advantage, the one who's hasty comes to poverty. But I can't command people to follow a particular methodology beyond the Bible. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a good that's a good word too, and I appreciated that when I was reading the book. Is that it is a it is a really balanced approach, and you you present sides of different arguments, and then leave it up to the person to follow wisdom and and come up with a plan that's going to work for them. Um, one of the things that it was really clear in the subtitle of your book is critical questions and answers, and it was really evident, as you already mentioned, that this came out of a lot of encounters in ministry where you're counseling people, dealing with some of the difficulties that they've faced financially. Um, what, were, what were some of the most common problems that would come up fi- for financially in counseling ministry? I think the most common problem is that people have run up their credit cards and they are spending more money month after month than they are earning. And that they're not, and then it gets worse when they, they think they finally broke even this month. And then the next month, the every six months car insurance payment comes and they weren't ready for it. And so where Proverbs 21.5 says, the one who is hasty comes to poverty, is that people who don't carefully plan their finances are going to wind up in debt. They're going to wind up poor. They're also being influenced by a culture which says, if you've got plastic or they'll give you credit, get it now, uh, where people get in over their heads. And, you know, so there's materialism. And I would actually say a really important point I would make both practically, and I hope I make it biblically in the book, is that the issue isn't just to make a budget. It's also, and this would be a distinction probably between a lot of other books about finance. It's to deal with the issues in your heart that have led mm. to this mess. And so if in your heart, as you believe that more material things will make you happy and why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy trying to impose a budget externally will not solve your problem. Yeah. Um, if a husband and a wife have horrible conflict between them and he's a spender and she's a saver and they're each almost tried to hurt each other with money until the relationship is rebuilt and there's repentance and restoration and forgiveness, uh, trying to make them follow some external plan is not going to work. So, but anyway, that would be the most common to me would just be people whose finances have gotten out of control. Mm. And I've done a lot of counseling and, you know, you can work initially on a budget where you, you know, how much does it take for you to live? And sometimes very practically bring home, you know, save all of your receipts or let's go on your debit card statement. Let's, let's reproduce what you spend in a month where it's going, which they often don't know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can concoct a budget and find a way to follow the budget to live within their means. And sometimes you add up and you say, you're not making enough money. And so we need to figure out how you can make more money. Is that taking on a second job? I have a friend who's working nights at UPS while he's working days for another company uh, because he's in debt and he wants to get out of debt. And he's that's what debt does. And he wants to be free. Sometimes it's you, you're just you're working in this $10 an hour job and you need 18 or 19 to just be able to scrape by. And so we need to figure out what skills God has given you that you can improve or acquire, 
training, apprenticeship, something to where you can make enough money to survive on a, even a bare minimum budget. So that's probably the most common would be the not enough income, too much outgo, which leads to debt and then debt spirals. And then begin first you deal with the hard issues and then work on the practical issues. Yeah, that's, that's, Really helpful, and that definitely does come through in the book. That it, and is different, like you said, than so many books out there. So I'm thankful the publisher listened to you and, and took your took your book project on. Uh, one of the questions I'm always intrigued by or think of, think about too is what are the questions that we hope people would be asking or people should be asking? But a lot of times, especially if people are coming in and they're uninformed or unfamiliar with what their problems are they don't even know the right questions to ask. What questions do you wish people asked more about finance? Uh, <laughs> well, probably one that you and I both wish people would ask more would be, how can I arrange my finances so I can give more to the Lord's work? So that would be a great <laughs> question. And all donations um, can be made at biblicalcc.org. Slash, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> or, or rts.edu. There you go. Um, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, I actually dedicated the book to people who have been productive, have worked hard and worked smart and have decided they wanted to work to the glory of God and use a lot of what God has given them. And they've got these exceptional abilities to make lots of money is a good thing. And that's why I've been able to be in ministry for the last 30 something years, studying the Bible, writing books and counseling people and preaching and so I think for people to say, I want to, and I guess maybe the, how can I honor God in this area of my life? Not just how can I be debt free and scream on a radio program, but how can I exalt God by the way I spend my money? Mm. And then it's complicated in the sense that the, you know, we have tensions that we work with in terms of how, ma- how many hours do I work? How many hours do I spend with my family? If I've earned extra money, how much goes to improve lifestyle? How much goes to saving? How much goes to giving? And so the, the overarching theme behind that is how can we honor God with all of our wealth, not just 10% or whatever percent we've decided to give, because it all is a gift from him and it all belongs to him. And some of that can be honoring God by working harder, working smarter, investing wisely, Um and But then also part of it is we need wisdom to live with the tensions we have because there's not this exact formula of how everybody has to do, have, manage every aspect of their finances. Yeah, I appreciate that. So one of, the, one of the things I really appreciate about your book is it doesn't just address the negative side. As you just mentioned, people come to counseling often and, and for problems, right? That's why most of us get asked for help. And financially, most people are coming and asking the questions of, how do I get out of trouble? How do I get out of debt? I've gotten myself here where I can't afford things. But you also tackle the the positive side, like how to grow, how to steward, um, actually how to make money. Um, so talk about that a little bit. And you structure the book around five different aspects of finance. And that that tell everybody what that is and then maybe launch and answer that question from that perspective. Okay. Um, I would say a few things about that, Curtis. One would be, I found that most counselees, even if money is not the presenting problem, 
that when other areas of their life are disordered, money is often part of the problem, which is one reason why it's hard to make a living as a biblical counselor who charges for counseling <laughs> is because most of them have financial troubles along with their marriage troubles. Mm. Um, and then and in terms of the structure of the book, that as you said, the first part is kind of theoretical general principles of that the Bible written thousands of years ago the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God stands forever, that it has timeless truth. And the, you know, there are general principles of finance and money there. Also spiritually, how God uses money to train us to the trials, to make us depend upon him, to humble us. The Bible talks about both the blessings and the dangers of wealth. And then there's a section on legitimate ways to acquire money and work hard, work smart. One of the biggest problems many Christians have is they want, they, they fall for get rich quick schemes. And there are many warnings in the book of Proverbs about, but you know, basically if, if you want if you think you can make wealth without working hard and without having a valuable skill that produces a valuable product, you're lying to yourself and you're mm -hmm. being very foolish. And yet there are so many schemes out there. I've seen, you know, day trading and uh, other such matters that people have tried, uh, get-rich-quick schemes, and also even in terms of investing, which comes later, is that uh, investing involves risk. You're not going to make a whole bunch of money really fast you know, investing in the next Amazon or Netflix by giving some guy with his startup your money. Most of those fail. So, And also some of the you know, questions in terms of gambling, uh, multi-level marketing organizations, then spending is really the issue of, of budgeting, uh, how to, it's practical steps. That may have been the hardest part of the book to write was practical steps to create a budget and to follow your, it's no good to create one if you don't have a way of monitoring and following it. Mm. And so we've actually created uh, spreadsheets online that people can use and fill out rather than just the forms in the back of the book. Um, and then what do you do, you know, to balance your budget if it isn't balanced and then, a major section on debt, just because it's such a part of our culture from the government to corporations to individuals uh, and how to get out of debt. And then planning for the future, uh, a lot of focus on saving, uh, short-term, long-term, some that would sound similar to Dave Ramsey and others in terms of you need uh, short-term savings for unexpected or actually even well, like, the, the, the major expenses of life that just come when you've mm -hmm. got extra medical bills or car bills or whatever, or planning for future known expenses like cars, and then longer term expenses of children's education, retirement, uh, things like that. And then explaining kind of what the options are, just defining what they are, hopefully in terms anybody can understand. And maybe the most important principle of wisdom about investing, well, two would be one, I've already said, is if it sounds too good to be true, you're about to lose your money. <laughs> you, you can't get a higher return than the bank is offering without taking on some risk, mm -hmm. which the second would be a corollary, which would be do not invest in anything you do not understand. Mm. If somebody thinks that they can pull pork bellies out of oil wells in Madagascar and nobody's discovered this yet, run. You know, if, yeah. if you can't, if you can't explain, if you don't understand the investment, maybe a third would be try to figure out how the guy who's trying to sell you the investment makes his money mm -hmm. because he's more interested in making money off of you selling the investment to you, which he gets his commission. 
And it's not wrong for people to make money with that way, but it will sometimes, they will give self-interested advice in terms of buy this annuity from me because he's going to walk away with 10 or more percent of what you just handed him, which will then hurt your ability for your money to grow. So talk some about insurance and wills as well. So like I said, it's fairly comprehensive. It's what I know, what I've learned so far. <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate that. I've learned the hard way. Uh, so tell everybody where they can find out. You mentioned the balance sheets and, and uh, how can they find those online or find out more information about you, the book? Right. So I have a website with jimneuheiser.com that one of my students set up. And so we've put the balance sheets and the uh, budget forms in there. And we have both kind of samples and guidelines and then things that people could fill out for themselves, download off of Google Sheets or something like that. Uh, so, I mean, that's where that would be findable. And the book tells you how to reference those. There's also printed versions in the back of the book. Fantastic. Well, uh, there's a couple of questions I was really interested to ask. I'm not sure. We'll take the time to do it and then our editors, my editors can figure out what to do <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? But I'm curious, uh, for writers, what was the most challenging chapter for you to write? You know, I would say, too, on, on the level of just getting it where I was satisfied with it was actually how to make and keep a budget. Hmm. That somebody who's not a financial person could read this and actually have hope that they could do it. Yeah. I think a lot of times people who aren't good at money and don't feel comfortable with money feel like you're talking Mandarin to them when you try to get them to make a budget and they're afraid of it. So I, I, I spent a lot of hours on the spreadsheets as well. To go, I got help from other people. So that was difficult. The other chapter was the multi-level marketing chapter because I know I was walking through a minefield. Hmm. The, you know, the various network marketing organizations go through churches and people have very strong feelings about those. And so, I, again, I wanted to present a balanced view that you're free to do this, but there are some warnings I would give you in terms of how you should look at people not as potential network builders for you, but as brothers and sisters in Christ or candidates for the gospel. And there are some risks involved for various reasons with making that a big part of your life. But again, I can't say from the Bible, people aren't allowed to, yeah. but I have seen it cause some problems for some people. And on the flip side, what was your favorite chapter to write? <laughs> uh, maybe the one on multi-level marketing. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, I, that was one I really wanted to get the balance. Hmm. And so I, it was something I thought should be said. Uh, the best I found online was Randy Alcorn had a couple of blogs online that were useful on that. And, uh, but I think it's something that is important to have, uh, to be addressed Yeah. because in some churches it just goes through and sometimes you even have two different competing organizations in the same church. And I am of, mm. you know, young livings and I have of, of doTERRA or something and neither the twain shall meet. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, my initial answer. No, that's good. I really appreciate the work that you've done. And I think what you said there about teaching somebody who's not financially minded how to do a budget, that in and of itself, and a lot of 
applying that principle to a lot of other principles. So you as a biblical counselor, whether you are financially savvy or not, if you're not, this can help you become more uh, astute financially uh, and then be able to communicate it. And then if you are, maybe being able to put it into words for somebody who's not that you're ministering to. I think that is a really great uh, summary benefit that that a lot of people will get from your book. So thank you so much for for sharing that. Well, the last two minutes, I didn't send these questions to you, but uh, you've been a guest on our on our show before. The last two minutes, I say for a segment called Two Minute Favorites, where I just get to ask you your favorite stuff. Are you ready for this? I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what is your favorite food? If I could have anything right now, I'd have prime rib. Uh, favorite color? Blue. Used to be purple, and then it was kind of taken over by the bad guys. So I got purple. Blue now. <laughs> All right. Favorite gift you've ever received? My wife. Favorite gift you've ever given? Um, dedicating my marriage book to my wife. Favorite word? <laughs> Biblical. <laughs> Least favorite word? Psychological. Favorite book of the Bible? Philippians or Fav- Ephesians. All right. Favorite <laughs> book outside of Scripture? Um, I really enjoyed Atlas Shrugged. I know that she has all kinds of pagan worldviews, so that contradicts my earlier uh, disdain for unbiblical things. But I, I think <laughs> she has a lot of common grace wisdom about the way things are. Favorite sport? Um, you know, sport has become so woke right now. I guess my favorite sport to play has been tennis. And I'm beginning to think I may have to wean myself off of sports. Mm. Favorite candy? Butterfinger. Favorite Bible verse? Philippians 1.6. Favorite ice cream. a good work and you will continue to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. All right. Favorite ice cream flavor? Anything made by Bluebell, especially their fruity ones. If you had any superpower, what superpower would you choose? <laughs> Humility. <laughs> if your mother were to describe you in one word, what word would she use? Responsible. Favorite animal? Deer. They're delicious. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our two minutes favorite wrap-up and the end of our show. So, Jim, thanks so much for being with us on 1514 today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. Also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.